Coming to you from Brick House in downtown Brooklyn, this is 112BK. On the show today, ethnic media outlets in the city, bringing an international perspective to local reporting. And New York's International Children's Film Festival is underway, and some of it's happening in Brooklyn. Hi, I'm Ashley Ford, and I'm back after jury duty. No, wait, sorry. That's a lie. Because I didn't want to make y'all jealous that I was in the Big Easy, girls' trip style. My producer told me the show fell to pieces in my absence, but I think that was a lie to make me feel valued. Those are white lies, harmless or trivial, often told to avoid hurting one's feelings. The director of communications at the White House, Hope Hicks, fessed up to telling her own white lies in a House committee hearing the other day, the day before she quit. Maybe because Trump called her a dummy for being honest about telling white lies. But she simply testified that she'd say things like he's in a meeting, he's on the crapper, he's in a McDonald's-induced food coma, when he wasn't, so that people wouldn't bother him. But that's something any administrative assistant would do for a boss, to take some of the load off. And it doesn't seem worth mentioning in a committee hearing, unless you're counting on some wiggle room in the definition of what a white lie is and don't want to be accused of lying about the fact that you actually lied about important things, like covering the tracks of email communications between Don Jr. and the Russians. I know it was you, Fredo. Meanwhile, the Mueller investigation is pretty good at exposing liars. Two of the indictments handed down so far have been for lying to the FBI. On the show today, ethnic media in the city, how outlets outside the mainstream media connect their readers with mainstream culture, and a visit from a couple of folks connected to New York's International Children's Film Festival. It's not just for kids. But first, these things. This is kind of a kooky story, so see if you can follow me. We'll call it From Russia with Tainted Love. After a burned body was discovered in a shallow grave in Russia, a woman is indicted for murder. She evades the rap by seducing the lead detective and flees to Brooklyn, sheep's at bay. She seduces more men, drugs them, steals their shit, lives a lavish life, and then decides she's going to take on the identity of a Queens woman who kind of looks like her. How? Well, like any good New Yorker, she drugs her cheesecake. But the woman doesn't die. And when she wakes up and recovers, she discovers the scheme and woman A, the one from Sheepshead Bay, is charged with the crime. And it's not just for ruining a perfectly good piece of cheesecake. Brooklyn Children's Museum will be celebrating what is perhaps the coolest and definitely the most colorful Hindu festival, Holi. They've partnered with South Asian brands Jai Jai Hooray and Dunya, Work Out Your Bollywood Star, to, quote, bring you a day of art, dance, food, and wonder that will make your whole family feel like you've been transported to the streets of Mumbai. They've commandeered a nearby park and promised plenty of colorful powder to toss into the air. Stay tuned for our first guest. Mayor de Blasio has called New York a tale of two cities. But if you look more closely, it might be considered many tales of multiple cities, given the astounding diversity and sometimes the fragmentation that results. Ethnic and local media have historically worked to bridge some of these divides, but they lack support, even from the city itself. 80% of city advertising in newspapers goes to the mainstream publications, even though the local and ethnic presses have a larger combined circulation. 
to talk about local and ethnic presses and their efforts to bring their community concerns into the mainstream and vice versa, we have Mike Hong, reporter for World Journal, a city-based Chinese language paper. Welcome to 112BK, Mike. Thank you and multimedia me. journalist Rama Reddy Raghavan. Thank you for coming in. Thank you. I'm so, so happy to have you both here. I can't wait to talk about this. Mike, can we start with you? Sure. Talk to me a little bit about your readership at World Journal. Who are they? What kinds of things are they interested in and want to hear? Um, yes, the, actually the World Journal is a nationwide publication. Awesome. Yeah, it's a nationwide and we serve the, um, the Chinese community in the mm -hmm. United States and we have, we have the, uh, the, uh, the calculation of more than 300,000 per day, yeah, nationwide. Wow. Yes, and, and most of our readers, of course, like uh, other ethnic media, uh, most of our readers are uh, the first generation uh, immigrant mm. uh, who um, you know, feel more uh, comfortable to read in the language they are most familiar with. Right. And also they trust better the journalists who can speak their own language and also can understand the culture. That's super understandable. Yeah. Is that, when you say 300,000 circulation, does, is that print? Or does that include? It's only print. And all, only we also print. have a website uh, mm -hmm. has the millions of visits. Millions? Yes. So once you get into, okay, so once you get into the digital part, it's millions. But mm -hmm. just the print, it's 300,000 worldwide? Yeah, it's, no, uh, it's nationwide. Nationwide. Nationwide, in, nationwide yeah, in, in the United, United States. States. Fantastic, fantastic. Mm -hmm. Rama, how about you? Um, who are you writing for these days? What types of stories are you writing? Um, I'm actually writing for Red Hook, mm -hmm. the Red Hook Star Review. So I do a few stories about about the community at Red Hook. Right. I did a very big piece about uh, the five-year anniversary of Hurricane Sandy and how mm -hmm. Red Hook has uh, overcome, you know, and built itself back up mm -hmm. uh, into becoming a vibrant society again. So I did a really big piece about that. I uh, interviewed a lot of uh, shopkeepers and bars and to see how they were recouping, you know, five years after. What did you learn from that? Uh, interesting. <laughs> um, actually, I was um, a bit disappointed because mm -hmm. um, uh, Red Hook suffered a lot of damages, mm -hmm. and especially the bars that are on Van Brunt Street, they have just rebuilt back, mm -hmm. and um, not taking into account if there is another Sandy right. that could happen. I mean, they're going to be dissolved again. So mm -hmm. um, they haven't taken precautions Right. Because there was no money to uh, pay for all those precautions. So Is it that the city didn't take precautions or that the businesses haven't been able to take precautions uh, because I, of the lack of funds? The city, I mean, I, I don't know where the problem is, but I spoke to some of the bar owners, mm -hmm. and they just did not have the money mm. uh, to fix a lot of things that needed to be fixed for them to be protected uh, wow. against another Sandy. So mm. they, yeah, so um, I, a lot of them had to, don't believe a lot of them got a lot of money from the city. Right. They had to fundraise on their own to mm -hmm. get funds to build back. So yeah, it wow. was very interesting. Wow. So what connects you guys is that you were both fellows in CUNY Center for Community and Ethnic Media, correct? Yes. And tell me about that fellowship and how it affected you with your journalism work. Uh, for me, I um, 
I accept two fellowship from the CUNY, mm -hmm. from CUNY. One is the business reporting fellowship, mm -hmm. and the other is the health reporting fellowship. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's very important, you know, the the, the training as the journalist and also how to do the journalism in New York City right. is very particular on that side. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, the, they invite a lot of the speakers who are the veteran reporters to um, to lecture for us how to you know how to do the journalist to report on the business and also on health um, in New York City and also how to do it uh, at the viewpoints of the community and also right. especially in the immigrant community right yes which is what's so necessary yeah to be because perfectly honest. so called the make the Make the untold story be told. Right. Yeah. Let's, uh, while the a lot of the mainstream media they ignore this the side of, and also we have a language uh, benefits, and also, mm -hmm. yeah, the the immigrant community, like the Chinese community, they feel more comfortable and mm -hmm. also more trustworthy to talk to to the Chinese reporters. Right. About these big issues. Yeah. About the big issues, and right. also it also impacts on you know the on the um, the the policy making and mm -hmm. also. So that they can remain engaged and know what's going on, yeah. like civically. Absolutely, Rama. How about you? How did the fellowship really affect? I mean, did it affect? Really? Uh, no, it was great. The fellowship that I did was with Feet in Two Worlds, which right. is uh, an immigrant uh, newspaper online. Uh, it's online, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, what I did was it was on education mm -hmm. in the city, immigrant education, which was fabulous for me because I brought out a lot of stories about immigrant children in dual language schools and around the city. And uh, it also helped me hone my radio skills, because mm -hmm. it was run by um, John, Rudolph, John Rudolph. So, um, you know, so that was fabulous training, and I learned a lot. Right. So when we were looking up the mission, of CUNY's program. It said the mission is at CEM to connect new immigrants and ethnic communities and all communities here in New York City with larger conversations and give them the tools for civic engagement, like we were talking about mm -hmm. a little earlier. Do you guys see that happening? <laughs> like, is there enough of this happening, the kind of work that you do in New York? And do you feel like the city is actually supporting that kind of work to tell these different stories and to get people civically engaged in the communities? Um, I find that uh, we are able to tell our stories, but for me, my problem is there are not many, that many outlets that are interested in taking the stories. Right. So that is my biggest roadblock, mm -hmm. I find. Um, I just find that people are not interested in Hearing it, stories about ethnic media. <laughs> is it too few just locally, or would you say in general? In general. Wow. Because I've pitched a lot of my stories to NPR, right. you know, mm -hmm. on for the radio, and uh, I've not just, I don't know, they've wow. just not been interested. What's a story you have in your pocket right now? Um, I actually just did a book review about two books that were written about uh, Brooklyn, which mm. was Manhattan Beach and Visitation Street, and they yeah. happen, exactly. Visitation Street happens on, uh, in Red Hook. It's a story that happens Please. in Red Hook. So I, was, I just finished uh, writing a book review about those two books. Excellent. For the paper. Excellent. How about you, Mike? Um, 
Yes, the World Journal is the Chinese language newspaper. Mm -hmm. So I do most of my work, I do all my work for World Journal in mm -hmm. Chinese. And for, for World Journal sites, actually the, because the, the Chinese population in New York City is growing rapidly. Mm -hmm. uh, like now the Chinese population is 6% uh, uh, of the all New York City populations. So actually for World Journal, it's, uh, the situation is good. You know, the, the city, they have the advertisement on World Journal about mm -hmm. the important issue like the uh, elections, like a lot yes. of the s policies. But, you know, we, uh, we also um, let the, the community know what's going on on the city, like the policy making. Is that and what also you do yeah. specifically? Um, for me, I'm, I'm the reporter for uh, cover. Right. Most of my coverage now is the elections and also mm -hmm. the immigrant, immigration. So, do you find that people would not get that information if it weren't for World Journal, if it weren't for publications that wrote it in Chinese and that communicated the Chinese concerns from a Chinese person? Like, that's what I'm wondering is if, if we don't have somebody like you doing this work, do people get this information at all? Um. Yeah, nowadays, you know, it's through a social, social um, uh, play, platform, right. social network platform. Yeah, some, some of the voice can, can come out, but you know, as a, a newspaper, we have, right. we, we have the pow very powerful uh, position mm -hmm. in gauge in this kind of conversation. And right. also, uh, in recent years, we, we um, do a lot of like work, do a lot of work to encourage the community like to participate in the right. in the elections um the voting power you know it's like the former new york, uh, new york city mayor the ad coach mm -hmm. uh said to a ch uh, to a chinatown at a time when a Chinese chinatown community protest the jail site in chinatown right. and there's a famous quote uh, you don't vote you don't count Mm. That's, yeah, so that's one of the mission, I think, for the ethnic media to really um, to motivate the community to register to vote. And to be part of, yeah, that, part of the part conversation. Of that conversation. Now, do you encourage people to vote? And like the paper, do you cover um, national, local, no. um, like, like even like city council members and things like that? Like, do you guys make sure people know about that? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Of course. So it runs the gamut. Good. Because sometimes yeah. I worry that, you know, people hear a lot about national politics and then they don't hear enough about local politics, but you guys are covering it all. So it's yeah. really not Actually, <laughs> a it's, problem. Yeah, it's important to let the people know who is who run for this office and right. how they their succeed can impact on your daily life. Right. Yeah. That's our job. What do you see as your role in your community? Like do you see it as like an educator, an informer? Or, yeah, it's kind of the both. You, yeah. you know, we have the privilege and also the great responsibility to be a voice for the community. And we uh, mm -hmm. also another role of our job is the bridge uh, right. to the community, our own community, and to the outside community, the mainstream, also also the other communities, right. to let them understand what the Chinese community think mm -hmm. and what the Chinese community need. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, and Rama, do you feel similarly? I yes. see you nodding. Yes, <laughs> no, I feel very strongly about it right. because I feel America is a country of immigrants and mm -hmm. we each need to learn about each other. 
And uh, for instance, I did a big piece on domestic violence that mm -hmm. occurred within the Afghan community. Wow. How many people know that? I mm -hmm. mean, firstly, they don't even know about the Afghan community, which is a big community that lives in Queens. Yeah. Um, but they were a result of coming here after the war right. that was fought, uh, that, uh, you know, we fought in Afghanistan. So Absolutely. a lot of the people got green cards and got here. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but they've settled here, but there's this, these issues that are going on in the community. And I feel um, that the community is pretty good in getting services from the city to help mm -hmm. them. But I feel it's, more, it's necessary for us to tell their stories so that the rest of the country knows what's going on right. with people that live here, because otherwise we would be so isolated Absolutely. and living in our own worlds. We need to tell the stories, and it has to be on all mediums. It has to be on radio, it has to be in print, it has to be in video, you know, because we have to celebrate our diversity. I feel very strongly about this. I agree with you both. I, I agree that that's important, and I agree that we need more of it. So hopefully we get you guys even more support than what you have now to continue to tell these important stories. Thank you so much for coming. I really appreciate it and hope to have you back again soon. Thank, Thank you, you so you. much. Pleasure. Thank you. The city hosts a lot of film festivals, from the glitzy to the rarefied. It's often hard to get a ticket and to get behind the velvet rope. But this next festival is different. Less hype, more tykes. That's right, you won't get turned away with your toddler. It's the New York International Children's Film Festival. But don't get me wrong, it's not just for children. There's a pretty amazing lineup of shorts and anime and more. To tell us about it is programming director Maria Cristina Villasenor. Welcome to 112VK. And filmmaker Joel Ramirez. Thanks for coming on the show, Joel. Thanks. So can I just start with you, Maria Cristina? How was the festival started, and how long has it been around? The festival is actually about to celebrate its 21st year. So it was started back in 1997 by a couple, our founders, who were interested in really uh, bringing something more substantive to children and families, really feeling like there were some artful stuff out there, um, sort of in the um, programming for adults um, mm -hmm. that was really lost um, in terms of family programs. So they really uh, marshaled resources and were scrappy and got an amazing sort of range of shorts and feature films together um, from around the world. Um, a lot of great animation that's being produced internationally and just really smart short filmmaking um, and started to put things together and just build this great critical mass that here we are 21 years later. Are there other festivals like this around the country? There are other festivals like this around the country, um, but we are amongst the largest in mm. North America, which is really fantastic. So uh, we have an audience of about 25,000 different families that we serve every year throughout New York City, and we also do programs. Uh, we share programming throughout the country, and we do collaborations with other festivals internationally. So it's really nice, the scale of it, and being able to have this international factor to it and really represent different countries and different thematics, different mm -hmm. cultural representation in this broad way is really fantastic. Fantastic. And Joel, how long has this festival been on your radar? Well, probably since uh, early last year. I think I had looked up 
Um, a lot of different film festivals are doing something different, something that uh, had to do more with like a younger audience, and usually younger audiences like means more imaginative to me because right. if you have your childlike imagination, then that's something you want to hold on to, really. Right. And do you make work specifically for children? Um, it's weird. I don't plan to, but right. it's just my style. It's like usually. Um, it has to do a lot with children. Some of the stories I tell in this story I happen to turn into a short film mm -hmm. um, does fit into that narrative because I think when you're, you're young, it's just like you have no filter to your, who you are. And if right. you, know, you want to show somebody that you care about them, you do whatever it is. You, you know, yeah. grab a little butterfly and you give it to them and the butterfly's dead. But you know, you want to show me right, love them. Right, but you want yeah. to show them. Yeah. And I, we're going to talk more about your film in a minute. I'm very excited to talk about it. But yesterday, an article published in Metro USA called the festival Progressive, Inspiring, and Not Just for Kids. The New York Times said the festival has adults lining up, too, which mm -hmm. is accurate, okay, because I'm lining up. But first of all, how have you managed to create a children's festival that can garner adult interest? Was that hard, or did it happen pretty naturally? No, I think it's really organic, and I think Joel is a good example of that. I mean, his um, short Piñata Love is focused um, on children and their their experiences, sort of trying to connect in New York City. It's this wonderful uh, Mexican-American experience, and, um, you know, imagining a filmmaker like Joel um, putting that together, um, it's not necessarily something that was created for kids in mind. It might focus on children, but very often our films don't focus on children. They are a range of different thematics and styles, but we feel like there is a point of entry. So what we really do is try to um, never take our audience for granted to understand that, you know, kids come to things and they may have different levels of understanding, but they are capable of complex thought and different kinds of reactions and connecting to this idea of, of change, of growth, of wanting to find, you know, like, uh, simpatico um, peers and whatnot, yeah. um, and so we really we do a huge amount of research throughout the year to find films throughout the globe and throughout festivals internationally mm -hmm. as well as our submissions. Um, so we look for a lot of stories that weren't necessarily made for children in mind, but we think are really powerful and have a message and a kind of quirkiness um, and a sort of spirit of playfulness that I think. Is yeah. just inherent in the art making process, um, and so I think the strength of those films and the fact that we're bringing a lot of really great titles, feature films as well, um, mm -hmm. internationally together, um, really um, lands with a lot of different audiences. Seems like it. It definitely yeah. seems like that's being accomplished. Joel, can you talk to me a little bit about Pinata Love? Um, so growing up Chicano in California, this is like just a love story of a boy that makes a piñata for a girl at school and you know there's there's no dialogue in the film so it gives the viewer the chance to kind of self-interpret it what's happening how that kid's feeling how the girl's receiving this right. and it just you know lets the if a child's watching this take their their own interpretation for you know how this experience is happening for them in their mind I love that. I love it. I can't wait to see it, first of all. And we're almost a week into the festival. Mm -hmm. So how's it been going so far? 
It's been fantastic. I mean, yeah. the irony is that it is a challenging festival to get into. Right. We do have a lot of sold-out <laughs> shows. Right. Um, so we had a really great weekend. We debuted some wonderful stuff. Um, we also have been premiering some things that are on the forefront of streaming. Uh, we had a great um, a new series called Hilda that's based on a graphic novel. And so that was a wonderful collaboration between um, Canada, UK, and the US. Um, we have um, some great films. We tend to give things a lot of screenings because we do have sold out audiences. So um, a lot of anticipation that's coming up for a title this weekend. It's a feature film from uh, Holland and Suriname. So it's exciting. It's a like rarely seen corner of the world. Um, and it sort of treats the African diaspora um, in a different way. It's about a girl who uh, is growing up in the Netherlands. Um, mm -hmm. Her family's in Amsterdam. And um, her family's divided. She lives with her father. Um, and she's looking for a way to connect back to her roots. And her roots are in Suriname. Um, and so conveniently, there's this singing contest that happens to take place in Suriname um, that she gets uh -huh. into. Um, and so it's this great play on a musical genre. It's right. all about finding your roots. I think it provides really compelling content to an American audience to sort of mm -hmm. look at like what the immigrant experience is in another country and sort right. of see parallels and differences. Right. Um, and, and stop centering America a little bit. Exactly. And, have, yeah, exactly. and see that like a lot of the stories that are resonating here in terms of our kids and communities um, right. take place in other places and that you know those a lot of those struggles and feelings and things are the same um, but you have a different lens. It's interesting that you talk about struggles and feelings because one of the things that I'm wondering right now is we're having a lot of interesting difficult conversations especially in this country right now things that I think in minority or marginalized communities have been talked about for a long time are now entering mainstream culture conversations are you seeing some of that showing up in the films like in these films for children mm -hmm. not necessarily for children but yeah yeah yeah, yeah. exactly um, yeah, I mean, I think that there is always some really interesting content that's there, um, things that come out organically of the work, and sometimes uh, I think, in, like in these particular cultural moments, we also try to be responsive about that. Mm -hmm. So, um, Joel's piece "Piñata Love" is in a program that we're doing called "Friends and Neighbors Mexico." So, right. last year we created a spotlight where we really wanted to give a platform to other countries. Um, bring that dialogue in and for us friends and neighbors and the idea of like really having that connection with Mexico and emphasizing that sort of breaking down of borders right. was important. So we have, you know, things that are a little more overt perhaps in that sense, but mm -hmm. that goes throughout and that goes in an international kind of fashion as I well. I love that. I love that. Well, oh, I hate that we're out of time, but because I have so many more <laughs> questions and also because I'm really excited about Pinata Love. Yeah. But can you tell me for all the people like me who are mm -hmm. watching this and are really excited, sure. maybe they want to come see something or try to see something, mm -hmm. even though a lot of it is sold out, where do they go? Uh, we have a number of different venues, so you can check out our website. It's nyicff.org. You can see our full schedule. We have a great uh, VR Junior program, uh, which is a first as well. We're doing VR this year. Um, we have three more weekends of short and feature films. Um, and we have uh, great venues in Brooklyn, in Manhattan, um, in Queens this year. So we're spread all out, and we are happy to have like accessible screenings for uh, kids and families and adults throughout the city. Fantastic. Well, thank you both so much for being here. I really thank appreciate you. your time. Thanks. Thanks for joining us today, which, by the way, is the start of Women's National History Month. We'll be back next week to explore and celebrate that.
Plus, more on gun control, and we'll meet a candidate looking to defeat a Republican congressional incumbent in the midterms. Hope you can join us. 112BK is hosted by me, Ashley C. Ford, and is written and produced by Ross Tuttle. It's also produced by Fred Brown, Shireen Bargi, Emily Bogosian, Naeem Van, Kritzi Roberts, Charmaine Lamb, and is edited by Clinton Filson Jr. and Kyrell Palmer. Our show is recorded by Eric Hagasak, Antonio Rosario, Leslie Hayes, and Steve DeSev. And our theme music was composed and produced by Brad Parker. Our executive producers are Aziz Aisham, Jonathan Leaf, and Sasha Mathias.